We see some faces up in here. Man, I should have said something last week. Forgive me. Twyla's back in town. You can do many, th- you can do many things with your summer. Um, one thing many people don't do is give it up to serve uh, the less fortunate. Uh, in, a, in a place where, th- I mean, she was in Philadelphia getting busy at a hope camp there doing all sorts of stuff. So it's great to have her back. And then we have people, and something's happening today? Someone's getting, I don't know, someone's getting married or something? Oh, yeah, the Broncos game. Yeah, so Caitlin's back. Caitlin's back. And we got the V. Hill family here. Thanks for joining us. It's good to see you. I'm glad that you have that uh, Broncos jersey on. It's right in the stream. So when we're singing, you just see this Broncos jersey. It is, it's good. It is good. <laughs> hey, we had a, uh, we talked about this last week, didn't we? But um, no, it's it's good to see everybody. Uh, how are you guys doing this morning? It's a, it's a good day, right? It is a, it's a good day. I want to ask you a question. Anybody drive or have experience driving cars? Yeah, yeah, okay. Filling up cars. We really, it's all self-service now, right? Yeah. Um, if you had a car, has anyone had a car that took a specific kind of fuel, like 91 premium? Ooh, right? Right? If you had a car that took 91 octane, what kind of fuel would you put into it? Easy, or I mean, we're like, duh, <laughs> right? You put the kind of fuel, what if I told you that people don't always do that? Right? People don't always do that. It's ridiculous, though, to think, like, well, my car takes 87, so every time I go, I put 87 in there. And if I want to go a little faster, I put the higher octane in, right? No, that's not how it works. <laughs> you'll, <laughs> you'll ruin your car. <laughs> don't do it. Well, I want to save some money, some diesel in there. Uh, uh, <laughs> I don't know if it works that way. It's ridiculous to think that we'd put anything else in a car that takes a specific kind of fuel, right? Well, something we're going to talk about this morning, we're talking about being spirit-powered. We as humans are created to be fueled by something specific. And yet, we tend to fill ourselves up with other things. Jesus knew this. And Luke does a brilliant job addressing this idea of what it means to be spirit-powered. In Jesus' life. That's what we're going to be talking about this morning. Amen? Amen. You know, Luke emphasizes the role of the Spirit. And as we've been reading Luke 3 and 4, I hope you paid attention to this, we'll use a fancy word, motif. Ooh, pinky, right? Motif. (laughs) This motif of the Spirit. And in Luke 3 to 4, it's like everything Jesus did. He's like, by the power of the Spirit, in the Spirit. The Spirit was in him, on him. All these things, right? And you're like, okay. Hope, did you pick up on that? I really hope so. It's there. It's in there. And it's going to be throughout the the entire Gospel of Luke. Luke emphasizes the role of God's Spirit in the ministry of Jesus. The Spirit, this is the main point I want you guys to grasp onto. We're going to be hitting this left and right this morning as I, I get to share with you guys. The Spirit breathes flourishing life into humanity. The Spirit breathes flourishing life, as Jesus said, life to the full. 
into humanity. And the Spirit guides us to be fruitful in our communities. Jesus is restoring the world, because that's what this series is about, right? Restoring the world. That's what we're getting from Luke. Jesus is restoring the world by showing us by God's Spirit. Amen? Okay. Good. Uh, We're going to play some hopscotch this morning, okay? Because this is, uh, since this is an underlying theme, we're just going to see it. It's just going to kind of rear its head every so often. We're going to see this pop up. So that means we're going to move with this motif throughout Luke, okay, and the rest of the Bible. So what does it really mean to be spirit-powered? I think that's a question we got to ask, right? I think one of the more unfortunate translations of the spirit is ghost. <laughs> holy ghost. It sounds cool, right? You can print that on a t-shirt. I've seen that. They got holy, help me holy ghost, and it's a cool shirt. almost bought it on Facebook. But when we get that mindset of ghost, what do you think of when you think of ghosts? Supernatural? And that's not a bad thing. Scary? Like, yeah, so what does it mean to, for, the Holy, for the Holy Ghost to be in you? You're, like, possessed, you know, and you're like, okay, I'm, out, I'm not controlling myself. It's something, it, it's, it's kind of an odd picture we get. I think it's a bit far removed from what the Bible is trying to communicate, where God's coming from when he says Holy Spirit. We're going to break that down this okay? What does it really mean to be spirit-powered, and how does Jesus show us? Let's dive in. Let's dive in. All right. I think that the two simple answers to that question is what does it really mean and, and how does Jesus show us? I think number one, we have to understand. We have to believe, not just acknowledge, but believe that we are made for We are made for the Spirit. And the second thing is that we need to be fueled by the Spirit. Okay, So we're made for the Spirit and we got to be fueled by it. Can you remember that, if anything, this week? There you go. We're in good shape. We're in good shape. So open up with me to Luke, if you could. Luke 3. And uh, I I feel like I do got to say this. Uh, Remember I I made that awful comment last week that the Bible's like Shrek, because they're both like onions and they have many layers. Okay, yeah, sorry, I brought it up again. But I think that has to be said that, you know, in this time, we can't address, this is not the, the definitive message on the, the indwelling of the Spirit or God's Spirit. There's bookshelves full of scholarship about the Spirit, and we're still grappling as humanity to understand this thing, uh, this nature of God. So, so let's, this is a provoking message. You should walk away asking more questions, or I did not do my job. Okay. So that's the goal. If you come up with questions, it's not a bad thing. Don't be afraid of the questions. Let's roll with it. Okay? We're made for the Spirit. This is important because God's Spirit <clears throat> is what really brought life to humanity in the first place. And it provided, and has provided, and will provide flourishing life to creation. Um, let's go to the very beginning. I said, I, I, I want to reference a few things here in Luke real quick. Just, I mentioned that motif. In Luke 3.16, <clears throat> this is John. John answered the call that I baptize you with water, but one is more powerful than I that will come. The straps of whose sandal I'm not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. And we are like, cool. What does that mean? Chapter 3, verse 21. 
when all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And he was praying. And, and as he was praying, heaven was opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. Chapter 4. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and went by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them he was hungry. Verse 14. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. This is gonna, we're going to see this all throughout Luke. <laughs> this language, this Spirit language, we need to get a handle on it now. If we don't, we're missing out on a big, big thing that God is trying to teach us through this gospel. Amen? Amen. Amen. So that's the goal this morning. Jesus has an intimate connection to God's spirit. But why is that? Why does that even matter? All right, here we go, the beginning, Genesis. Ready for this? The spirit. We're going to do a many, many look (laughs) on the spirit. Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, The earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. I want to break down a couple things right now that's super important. The Hebrew word for spirit is ruach, ruach, and it means breath, wind, okay? So that's why I said this idea of ghost isn't the best way for us to really think about that. Think of it more as God's divine life force god's divine life force we're going to see this pop up in the psalm as david or the psalmists are talking about the breath within living creatures that's given them this divine breath i like to think of this situation in genesis 1 1 where there's not really life on the planet yet and yet god's divine life-giving breath is just sitting there waiting it's like hovering it's trembling like let me get to work but when you watch football and they do the, the, the national anthem or whatever, you see the athletes that are there. Some of them can compose themselves. Some of them are like, <sighs> they're like shaking. Like you can tell they're like ready to go to work. They're like, I want to hit somebody. I need to do my job. They're, they're just like anticipating. They're, they're trembling. They're ready to go. God's spirit is ready to give life. In Genesis 1.1, the first line, scripture. Okay, make sense? All right, we're not going to go too far. Flip one page. Chapter 2, verse 7, And then the Lord formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living being. God's spirit, God's breath is what gives humanity life. Turn two pages. <laughs> Uh, This is where we start to, we're going to summarize really quick. Genesis 6. So we're going to see something interesting happen here. Monday night discussion group, we might dig into this a little bit more. There's some good meat here. But there's these descendants of Adam. And have you read it? And they're living like 800 years, 700 years, 900 years, these ridiculous long lives, right? But the sons of Adam's they, they, they obviously have the spirit on them, and we're going to see that here. They have the spirit, which is enabling them to live for a long time, but they're doing something. They're not following God's will. In chapter 6, verse 3, the Lord said, 
My spirit will not remain with humans forever, for they are mortal, or for they are corrupt. Their days will be numbered 120 years. What we see, there's a lot of things we can unpeel here, the onion. There's a lot of cool stuff we can unpeel. But something that's right in our face is that God's divine spirit gives flourishing life to mankind. Quite literally, they're living long lives. But because humanity is corrupt, God says, I'm going to take that away from them. I'm going to take that away from them. Throughout the Hebrew Bible, we see God's divine life force, his breath, his spirit is at work. It'll come on people, empower people to do incredible things. And think about this before we get this superhero, like, oh, these are just cool VeggieTale things we can do. All of these situations where the spirit is coming on people is to help reveal to the nations who God is. Every single one of them. That's what's happening. We see some cool things happening. The prophets speaking out. Ezekiel. Like I said, we're summarizing here. We're just, we're flipping, uh, I don't know, a thousand pages. And Ezekiel says, this is a couple times here from the prophet. Ezekiel 36 and verse 11. I'll just read this one. This is is a, a prophecy for Israel. I will increase... I will increase the number of people and animals living on you. They will be fruitful and become numerous. I will settle people on you as in the past, and I will make you prosper more than before. Then you will know that I am the Lord. I will cause people, my people, Israel, to live on you. They will possess you, and you will be an inheritance, and you will never again deprive them of their children. This is what the Sovereign Lord says. Am I in the wrong place? Yep. Okay, verse 24. That's cool. Apparently I needed to read that for somebody this morning. (laughs) Verse 24. For I will take you. You with me? All right. For I will take you out of the nations. I will gather you from all your countries and bring you back into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you. You will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit in you and then move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. God's promise of restoration not only to his people but by extension all people is to place the spirit within them so they can no longer have to be corrupted, but they can be compelled by his divine breath to follow him. Amen? Humanity 2.0, or a reboot. I don't know how you want to view it, but getting back to the way God designed us to be. Jesus says in John 10, 10, that he's talking about being the good shepherd. He's like, I'm not coming like the thieves to kill, rob, and destroy, but I've come to give life and in abundance. That phrase, life to the full, flourishing life, flourishing life. And just to bring it all the way through, even to the epistles in Ephesians 2, as, as, as Paul's addressing the rift between the Jews and the Gentiles, he's like, look, 
This division is solved by this fact that through Jesus, we are one new humanity. We are one new kind of person. So that's what I say, humanity (laughs) 2.0. That's what Jesus is showing us. Okay? I'm I'm trying to drill this into our heads. We're made for the spirit. And God's plan of restoration is to put our spirit within us, to empower us, to show us how to have flourishing life and how to spread flourishing life. That's what Jesus is doing. That's why Luke is highlighting the spirit's role with Jesus in the gospel. This is fulfillment of Ezekiel 36. It's happening. And if we don't stop and listen, we're going to miss it. We're going to miss it. And then before we know it, we're not considering the spiritual in our own lives today. Just kind of gloss over it. Help me, Holy Ghost. What does that mean? We're made to be filled and fueled by the Spirit of God. Luke's showing us how Jesus is taking on the mantle of that new kind of human who lives in unity with God's spirit and becomes one with man. I, sh- I wanted to kind of give this warning. Th- it's, this might make some of you guys want to walk out because this is hard. I think we like to look at Jesus like an anomaly. I think we do. I think we do. What scripture clearly says is that he's not an anomaly. He's the pioneer. We're to be like him. We are. We are. He's not doing this. He, he, he's doing this to show us the way, to show us how. That if you are going to be, if you're going to embody God's spirit, this is how you do things. This is how you walk in step with the spirit. This is how you have an impact on your community. This is how you surrender to God and trust his story. But I think, and I'm speaking from my perspective here, sometimes I like to look at Jesus as an anomaly so that I don't have to be like him. So I don't have to do what he did. So I can limit how much I sacrifice. So I can limit how the, the, the standard I set for myself. But it's one of those things like, look, you, you, either, you, you got it or you don't. You're going to follow the spirit or you're not. You're going to build or you're going to destroy. You're going to bear fruit or you're going to wither. Okay, does that make sense? It's a light switch. It's not a dial. <laughs> it's, you're living by the spirit. Or you're not. Do you, can, that's hard to grapple with. Sometimes I'd really prefer for Jesus just to be like the guy so I don't have to. But Jesus is showing us the way. Jesus is showing us what humans are supposed to be like. Jesus himself said people are going to come that are going to do greater things than me. He himself said that. Yes, he did. Jesus left a path of flourishing life behind him. And it's only after we get this grasp of this relationship he has with the spirit and what that means to embody the spirit, to to have this life force that just breathes life into you and to the people around you, then we start to understand why does he just, there's a spirit talk and the temptation time and all these things, and all of a sudden he just goes to work and he's healing people. That's just kind of abrupt. No, no. Because that's what happens when you walk by the Spirit. You leave healing in your wake. You don't leave it. The Spirit leaves it. Yes? I wanted to say Jesus is oozing, if that word will stick with you, he is oozing flourishing life. Right? And like as, as a snail leaves that trail behind it, 
<laughs> Gross, but you're not going to forget it now. <laughs> that so is Jesus, so shall we. Yes? Is there a trail of flourishing life that follows you in your life and in your relationships? Now, let's not oversimplify this. Let's not assume, well, well, if anyone doesn't like you or isn't best friends with you, then you must not have the spirit because that's not flourishing life. Hold on a second. Some people don't want God's flourishing life. Let's not forget that. What happened in in, uh, Nazareth? The rejection there? Jesus is like, hey, I, I'm, I'm not coming for you guys. I'm coming to fulfill God's mission to bless the Gentiles. And they could have responded with, amen, Jesus, you're right. Let us join you. What shall we do? That's the response you say. What shall we do? But how did they respond? Let's kill them. <laughs> Let's ki- that's what they did. Some people don't want flourishing life. So it doesn't mean you won't have tension. doesn't mean that Everyone's got to automatically just like be like mesmerized and be like, oh, no, some people aren't going to want it. Amen? Yeah. I just wanted to clarify that before any of us kind of move down that pathway. Or like, well, so-and-so, uh, you know, doesn't like Ethan, so Ethan must not have flourishing life. Well, amen. Let God deal with me. Right? But do you see where I'm coming from? Okay, yeah. Let's get rid of that stinking thinking. That's, I know, that's a throwback, isn't it? Here's another question as we talk about being made for the spirit. Do you more closely identify with the nature of humanity in the world as we know it? Or Jesus' new type of humanity? Does that make sense? Do you more closely relate with the, the, the thinking, the philosophies, the mechanisms of society? Or the thinking, the philosophy, the mechanisms of Jesus? Ouch, right? Maybe another way of asking that question is, how do you look to solve problems in your life? Through human means or through spiritual means? That's telling. For me, I think I've shared this a couple times, but my nature is to scheme. I'm coming up against an obstacle. I like cave in on myself and I like start planning and I'm like that crazy guy with the with uh, the cork board and all the strings are connected. I'm like, how can I figure this out? You know what I mean? <laughs> like, how can I scheme my way through this? And only when my scheme doesn't work 50 times do I go to God. That's how I feel. That's, that's my experience. You know, once we've got a handle on why we need to be spirit-powered, then we can talk about how. Then we can talk about how. So let's, let's look at that. What does it mean to be fueled by the Spirit? You know, if we, aren't fueled, if we aren't fueled and led by the Spirit, we can't bear fruit and lead others to restoration. What we've been talking about for 2021 and for longer is how do we restore the world? We, I mean, not, not 2021, what, 19, when, whenever our movement really began, wasn't the whole thing to seek and save the lost? And that was like a mantra. What does that mean to seek and save the lost? What do we do? It's restoring them to God. Restoring them to God. We can't do that if we aren't led by the Spirit. So how how we handle difficult circumstances is often an indication of where our hearts are at, right? 
right? So let's look at what Jesus did here in Luke uh, 3 and 4 and, and obstacles he faced. And maybe we can learn something from that, yeah? Let's go. Let's do that. Let's go to let's go Luke. Um, yeah, yeah, Luke 3, Luke 3. John's doing his thing, baptizing people, getting them ready for the coming of the kingdom. And then Jesus comes on the scene. Uh, Luke 3, uh, 21. When all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And at, what was he doing? As he was praying, heaven was opened. The Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And we all probably, someone's home in the 1970s had that painting of Jesus. Like, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, you got white Jesus there and the dove coming down. And it's like, ah. But what is going on here? What does that start with? What was Jesus doing? Jesus was praying. Jesus was praying. Jesus was a person, like us. He was a human. And he realized, he knew if his spirit, or his ministry was going to be spirit-led, what did he need to do? He needed to be vulnerable before God. That's what prayer is about. That's what prayer is about. It's about vulnerability before God. And we see that from him as he prays in the Garden of Gethsemane. He says, he says it like he wants it. Take this cup from me. But not your will. Well, not my will, but your will, right? Prayer is about vulnerability before God. I'm going to empty myself. Read the Psalms. The Psalms is a prayer book. Read the Psalms. What does David do all over and over again? He's like, this is what I want, God. This is what I'm feeling, God. But what does he always do at the end of the Psalm? He kind of turns it back around to look at God, what God wants, right? And God, thank you for the sky. Uh, God, thank you for... Um, my Chick-fil-A breakfast, and what is prayer for? We get stuck because we think it's some duty. We ask questions like, well, if Jesus was God, why would he need to pray? Stop. It's about vulnerability before God. It's about pouring out your cup so you have room to be poured into. The spirit won't have room in your heart if your heart's already full. Okay? Is your heart full of stuff already? Maybe you have that 91-octane car. Maybe that's us. And you accidentally filled it with 87-octane. Got to drain the tank. Got to pour out. That's vulnerable. Leaves you feeling like you can't go anywhere. Can't do anything. On a car with no gas. Have you felt that way? Oh, yeah. (laughs) He's praying before God. In Luke 4... This amazing story of Jesus being tested by the wilderness. He's being led. Luke 4, 1. Jesus, full of the Spirit, left the Jordan. And, and, and this is the first thing that's happening here after he's baptizing. And God says, I'm, I'm pleased with you. He's led by the Spirit into the desert. Where for 40 days he's tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days. And at the end of them he was hungry. So the devil tempts him. How many times? Three times. Oh, that's an important number. Three times. How does Jesus respond? Scripture. Oh, so that you got to read your Bible more. What's your memory verse? You got to be memorizing your Bible. You got to be. Slow down. Hold on. Let's dig a little deeper. Let's not be so pragmatic off the top. 
okay? Yes, Jesus responded with God's word, but that's more than him being a good Torah student. What Jesus is doing is he's trusting in God's story more than his. Yes? Isn't that what it really means to hold on to God's word? Isn't it hard to memorize God's word when you don't think it's true? There's no value? But when you've been in that position in life where you need it, and you've experienced, and you've felt God's promises, and you've seen them come true, and you're like, God, it says it right here in your word. You don't really forget those things, do you? He truly trusted in God's story, in God's word. So it's more than, you know, yeah, read your Bible. Heck yeah. But it's, it's trusting in it. It's trusting in it above your own Bible story, whatever you want to call it. Does that make sense? Uh, 417. He's coming out of uh, he's coming out of the temptation. Man, there's some cool stuff there in that story too. All right, Monday night group. Let's get it. Um, in verse 17, he stood up. So he's in Nazareth, he's in his hometown, and he's gonna stand up and he's gonna read in the synagogue. He stood up and read the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it's written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Whoa. There it is again. Because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, he has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners. Isn't it interesting that after this, Jesus goes and heals people that are poor and destitute and, 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 and uh, casts demons out of people who are captive by demons? Uh, does that have something to do with this? Maybe? I don't know. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of the sight for the blind to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, sat down. The eyes of anyone, everyone in the synagogue were fastened on, fastened on him because they knew what he was referring to. Bernal did an amazing message on that a few weeks back. He began by saying to them, today the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. And then we know what happened shortly after that. We read it this week. They, they want to kill him. <laughs> they want to kill him. You know, when Jesus encountered this challenge, he could have said something else. He could have backtracked. He could have talked down the situation a little bit. Oh, guys, this, oh, hold on. Whoa, whoa, wait, whoa. But he stuck to God's mission. He knew God's mission. God's mission is what? To bless, come on, to bless the nations. You guys know this, yes? We've got to know this. We've got to believe this and feel this. It has to be in our bones. Or we're missing out. He knew that, and he was living that out fearlessly, boldly, despite what his own people in his hometown, despite how they would respond. You know, being fueled by God's uh, spirit is, is not just about perfecting the quiet time. I think we can get a basic reading. Like, it's, you, what I got to do, I got to read and pray more. Let me tell you, after years of doing youth ministry, working with young adults, when I sit down and have conversations of like, hey, How's your relationship with God? Where do you need to grow? Oh, I need to read and pray more. What does that mean? And it's not just young people. It's all, it's all of us. We're stuck on this thing. Got to read and pray. What does that mean? Are you with me? Let's not say that anymore. Not that, it's not, not that we shouldn't pray or read the Bible, but what do you actually mean? I need to trust in God's story more. I need to take it to heart. I need to be vulnerable before him and pour out before him so I can be poured back into by him so I can hear him. That's what it's about. That's what it's about. 
It's not about perfecting the quiet time. That's not the epitome of our existence. Okay? It's about having an unrelenting trust in God's story. What was Jacob known for? When he encountered God, when he wrestled with God, what what did he do? He didn't let go. What's Israel mean? He who wrestles with God? Aren't we grafted into this? Is that not our wrestle in life too? To trust in God's story, to not let go? Yes? Pray, uh, I don't want to be too redundant here. You know, in, in Genesis, <clears throat> the sons of Adam misused the, 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 the benefits of that flourishing life they got from God's spirit. But Jesus is showing us how to be led by the Spirit. Amen? What is fueling you today? What is fueling you? What are you running on? Two hours of sleep? And we have all these things we could say. Coffee? Talk with a brother before service about this. <laughs> but what's really fueling you? We can be like cars, meant to run on a specific kind of fuel, but we fill it with the wrong stuff. Have you guys seen the videos of people that have a Tesla and they try to put the gasoline nozzle into it? I don't know if they're real or if people really do that. I'm like, you have this car and you don't understand. But have you, I don't know, maybe you haven't seen it. Is that ridiculous? Is that ridiculous? Wouldn't it be ridiculous to go get like a bottle of Hershey's chocolate syrup and pour that into your gas tank? It's what I got. It's sweet. I like it. Oh, that was a little too real, sorry. <laughs> I got a sweet tooth, right? <clears throat> or, uh, oh, maybe this E87 will be fine. You blow up your car. That's ridiculous. We start out with it. That is ridiculous. How ridiculous is it for us to fuel ourselves with things other than God's spirit? Is there anything that comes close? What's fueling you? Your own ambition Goals and dreams. You watching too many Gary V videos on YouTube? Sorry, that's very isolating. Only a few people. Okay, yeah, yeah. I don't know who's the, yeah who's who's the Gary V of the 1980s. I don't know. You're talking about guru. Anyways, t- whatever. Whoever. T- are you listening to many gurus online? People who have you know maybe they're kind of slick. They got some cool things to say. Are you driven by you know the American dream? Yeah? What's fueling you in your life? What's fueling you in your spiritual walk? What's driving you? I think uh, Paul adjusts this pretty significantly in Galatians 5. Hopefully no one's twitching. They're like, Galatians 5. Oh, <laughs> someone's coming at me right now. No, 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 no. This isn't a checklist to be like, how good are you? Amen? <laughs> Please, let's not do that. In 16 of Galatians 5, Paul says, So I say, walk by the Spirit, and then you won't gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what's contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They're in conflict with each other, so that you you are not to do whatever you want. Hold on. Really? So you are not to do whatever you want. 
But if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. And I warn you, as I did before, those that live like this won't inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit, because it's going to be all of these, right? Of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. This is really important. I don't know how many of you got dressed up in like a different fruit and you had to dance to the song and like growing up. This is just me. Literally that happened to me. <laughs> I dressed up like a big banana and we like performed. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> you know, we often run into this lullaby effect with these scriptures that we hear a lot. We read them kind of go to sleep. Uh, I, know, I know what that means. Do we? <laughs> do we? If you know what it means, do you live it? Do I live it? Here's the thing. If we don't commit to be entirely fueled and led by the Spirit, our, com- it's not, our communities are not just going to miss out on seeing the gospel in action, but we're actually going to be in opposition to the gospel. Okay? Because it's being in step with the Spirit is what's, you know, a really interesting view on Galatians 5 is the fruit of the Spirit are all things that build up communities, and then the fruit of the flesh are all things that tear down communities. Either building or you're, you're tearing down, right? So if we're not entirely fueled by the Spirit, following the Spirit, keeping in step with the Spirit, then we're in opposition. That's a, that's a hard, that's, that's a question you got to ask in the mirror. you got to ask that question in the mirror. You're perpetuating the destructive behaviors of humanity, like the sons of God. Or the sons of Adam, excuse me, the sons of Adam. So here's the bottom line. You want the bottom line? You're like, could could you said this like 20 minutes ago, Ethan? Here's the bottom line. It's God's spirit who gives flourishing life. Nothing else. Not your crypto, right? Not, Not how much debt you do or don't have, right? Your finances, your title, right? Your reputation. It's God's spirit who gives flourishing life. Nothing comes close. We have an opportunity to be vessels, to live as humans should live. Do you believe this is how humans should live, like Jesus? Or is that like extra credit humanity? It'd be cool. It'd be nice. You get a gold star. Or is that actually, is Jesus actually the baseline? (laughs) And we've been below the baseline the whole time. Jesus is the baseline because he said people are going to do greater things. We have the opportunity to be vessels and to spread that life to our neighbors, the people around us, if we only trust in God and follow the Spirit's lead. This is how Jesus brings restoration. This is how he did it, by keeping in step with the Spirit. 
And we're going to see this language sneaked in throughout Luke, him being led by the Spirit and the power of the Spirit. Every time you encounter that, let's remember this. Jesus was fueled by the Spirit. Are we fueled by the Spirit in a similar way? Some questions to ponder, to think about. If you don't have any questions, here are some. Why does it matter that humanity is made to be spirit-fueled and led? Why does that matter? If one of our kids from Kingdom Kids came up and asked you that, what would you say? Why does it matter? I love Rin. She's asking me some basic, basic questions about God, and I'm like, uh, how can God and Jesus both be in our hearts? Well, I got to be able to grapple with those things. These are big concepts. We have to be able to understand them. You know, some people say if you can't if you can't explain things to a, a, a child, you really don't get it. You really don't get it. There's these cool videos on YouTube. I think it's by Wired magazine. They'll have like a physicist or someone explain uh, massive concepts in like five levels, and they'll start with like a, a, a pre-K kid, and they'll work all the way up to like another scholar. And they'll show you like how do you explain these complex things on different levels. Sorry, that's I'm off script, but but it's significant. Yeah, let's get beyond like these churchy things. We're like, oh, let's keep a step with the spirit, bro. What does that mean? <laughs> what does that mean? Why does that matter is the question. Why does that matter that humanity is made to be fueled by the spirit? What's at stake here if we aren't? What is at stake? You don't have to look far. Just go on uh, Google News. That's what's at stake. In what ways are you a vessel for flourishing life to your neighbors? Okay, that's a deep question. That is going to require us to think about, man, how has God been working my life? What are my gifts and talents that God is using? Not because I'm awesome, because our God is awesome. Uh, yeah, I think so here. In what ways, I, I rephrased it. I didn't say it the way I have it here. In what ways are you being a vessel for flourishing life to be shared with your neighbors? How does that point back to God and not you? How does that point back to God and not you? What does it actually mean and look like for you to be spirit-powered in your daily life? Amen? Amen. I'll send those questions out later on the group meetings if that's helpful. <laughs> I will do that. Jesus, Jesus is well aware of this. And we don't only see it in Luke. We see it in other Gospels as well. This idea that he understands what it means to be spirit-powered. It's about giving life, true life. We're going we're gonna to have some time of communion together. And, and as we do that, let's dwell in this passage from John 6. And you can read it with me. You can close your eyes and, and, and soak it in. John 6, verse 53. Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. In other words, if you can't get down like I do, you have no life in you. How did Jesus get down? He was spirit-led. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. 
which is another way of translating life to the full. I will raise them up at the last day. For my flesh is real food and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in them. Just as a living father sent me and I live because of the father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, manna. Your ancestors ate manna and died. But whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Let's go to God and pray as we take communion together. Heavenly Father, thank you for flourishing life. Thank you for giving that to us, something we're so undeserving of. And forgive us, God, of the ways. Forgive me, forgive us as individuals and as a community for putting anything else within us that, that shouldn't be driving us, that shouldn't be fueling us. You've been talking about this all along. You've been trying to show us. And thank you for, for bringing us Jesus so that we can know what it means, what it looks like to be led by your spirit. God, we want to help you. We want to partner with you. We want to surrender to you as you restore the world. Show us the way. Help us as we empty ourselves and listen to you and your words. Thank you for the life that we have from the bread of life who came down, who laid himself out for us.